Today's scripture reading is Galatians 1, 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who are troubled and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts, our minds, to glean from it your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul wrote in this section of Galatians can be quite offensive, especially to a pluralistic society like ours. Our culture desires to be all-inclusive. Our culture desires tolerance in the highest degree possible where tolerance is just an extremely, extremely high value. And what we find here in Galatians can be interpreted as narrow-minded and intolerant. I acknowledge that we live in a place where and a time when tolerance permeates every fabric of our society, when people desire to give every value an equal value and all values are to be tolerated, except for one, intolerance. So when we look at the scriptures and when we look at Christianity in light of this extremely high value our society places on tolerance, much of our worldview, our beliefs, our values will be highly offensive toward people and the culture that is around us. There is no hiding what Paul wrote here in verses 6 through 10. I mean, they're right in front of us, and there is an element of intolerance in his writing here and for some, this might be a difficult, challenging thing to accept. So I acknowledge that and I want to throw that and I want to share with you that I understand and that I'm not just going to try to berate you with these things, but I understand where we live. Our world, while valuing tolerance, is actually quite intolerant of many things. And I think that this is kind of the funny thing. Because a gardener is intolerant towards weeds. An oncologist is intolerant towards cancer. Uh, a sheep herder is intolerant towards wolves. And so we recognize that there is an exercise of intolerance in respective arenas of our lives because the garden will be overrun with weeds, the people can be in poor health, and sheep will be slaughtered. So for our society to prosper, there needs to be the practice of a healthy intolerance where injustice can't be tolerated, where violence cannot be tolerated. We can't tolerate every value and expect to have peace. It does not make any sense. And so the same goes for the church. And this is what Paul saw in the churches in Galatia, that there were some things that could not be tolerated in the church. Otherwise, it would cease to be the church. That there were these false teachers who were adding to an already perfect gospel. And these people were adulterating the gospel. 
So Paul wasted no time to address these deserters of the faith. And last week we looked at Paul's introduction to the churches of Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and how all these guys, they had these nice introductions that Paul wrote to them in his letters and it's not so in his letter to the Galatians, right? Even the Corinthians got a nice intro, right? And the Corinthians were Jacked up. They're messed up people, right? They needed to be rebuked. They needed to be corrected. Yet Paul still took the time to write this nice intro to thank them and to praise them for what they did have. Let me read this to you. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he hammers them later, right? But the intro is nice. Galatians is different. Paul doesn't do any of those pleasantries in his intro to the letter. It's straight to the point. There's no thanks. There's no praise. There's no commendation. It is just straight to reproach, to reproof, reprimand. And here we are in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. No thank you. No praise. You're like, I am astonished. Right? Like, this is shocking. Right? Because a typical letter would have these formalities. Just like when you and I write things, right? I mean, at least Paul did include grace and peace to you, right? That, that sort of thing. But typically, there would be a little bit more in the form of the pleasantries and those niceties. But this was too urgent for Paul, and he wanted to cut to the chase and address this emergency in the churches of Galatia because of what they were facing. And you know how this is. Because you take a look at how we communicate with one another. If we're talking with people over the phone or face-to-face, -face, we typically say, Hi, how are you? How's the family? And we have these little side conversations before we get into what we really want to talk about, right? And we ease into the subject matter, unless it's serious. Because if it's serious, if it's like an emergency, if it's urgent, then it's like, is she alive? Right? You get that phone call from the hospital, you don't say, hi, how are you? You don't do that. You just go straight to the chase. And you say, who did that to you? Where is he? And so that's what it's like here. It's that, is she alive? Where is he? It's that sort of thing. And so there's no small talk in times of emergency or seriousness. And it's the same thing here with Paul and his correspondence with the Galatian churches. The tone is very serious. And Paul wants to get to the heart of the matter right away. It's just too urgent. And we write in the same way. If the letter's not urgent, we'll write, Dear so-and-so, hope all is well. Long time since I've written you. How's your family? And we write all these type of things. But when it's urgent, we write, Dear, it is with great sadness. Blah, blah, blah. We just get right to it. We write, we regret to inform you. We don't have those nice pleasantries there. And so Paul goes straight to addressing these deserters. In Philippians, Paul wrote to them, get this. He was a Roman prisoner. He was in jail. And 
acknowledging that the gospel was being faithfully preached by some of them, some out of envy and some out of rivalry, but he still said that he wasn't all that concerned about that. And he's in jail, he's locked up, and he's writing this nice letter to the Philippians. Let me read this to us. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. This was one of his concerns. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, Paul recognized that the preaching of the gospel by some in the Philippian church it was off. But there was still this remnant of the true gospel that was there, so he wasn't all that worried. If Paul had this faith in the Philippian church while he was jailed and he couldn't go out and do anything about it, knowing that there were some within the church who were preaching out of envy and out of rivalry, why did he seem at peace with them? But in Galatians, he's not. Rather, in Galatians, Paul has a completely different tone. Right? He wrote in verse 8 and 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why the difference in tone between the Galatian churches and the Philippian church? Well, in Philippians, Paul recognized that the heart of the gospel had not been changed how people were going about it with envy and rivalry was definitely questionable and it was definitely ungodly. But the heart of it still remained even though the expression of it was worldly. But in Galatians, there was this deeper issue going on. It was a hard issue. The core, the very essence of the gospel was at risk, which was a great concern to Paul. And that's why Paul was so abrupt in his letter and why the tone of his letter is so serious. And you look at the word Paul used in verse 6, astonished. That's a strong word. It's not, I'm concerned. I'm worried. It's, I'm astonished. He was astonished that the people were deserting the gospel, what, so quickly. Paul wasn't astonished that people would try to turn followers of Jesus away from their faith. He knew that was going to happen. He was astonished that they, the new believers in Jesus, in this gospel, they were so quick to desert this newfound faith. He was like, already? Already? I was just there. I just saw you come to Jesus. And that's it? That's it? And the enemies of the gospel, they adulterated this simplified Gospel of salvation by grace through faith. And they changed it into this false gospel. And it did cause some people to desert the gospel. The Greek word for deserting has a political and a military undertone. 
When one transfers or changes from one side and they go to the opposing side, when one falls away from one side to the other side. So it would be like this. It would be like the social democrats and the communists and the members of the churches siding with the Nazis. Because those groups were actually the ones fighting against the Nazis early on in the movement. So it would be like those people saying like, hey, you know what, forget the communism, forget the socialism, forget the church. I'm going to join the Nazis. And so this is this kind of desertion that this thing is talking about here. Traitors. They went to the other side. And it's a drastic change from where one used to stand, where one used to fight, where one was willing to die for their worldview, their cause, their beliefs, their values, and totally changing them to go to the very opposite side. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him. See, they weren't just deserting their former worldview or their beliefs or their values or a philosophy or anything like that. They were deserting a person, a personal God, a personal relationship. Who were they deserting? Now you look back to verse 4. The one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. They were deserting him. They were deserting Jesus. See, before Jesus, you were a prisoner to sin, and then he set you free. And he delivered you from the present evil age, taking upon your sin so that a holy God looked upon you as righteous because Jesus interceded on our behalf. And so he's saying, you Galatian church folks, how quickly you've come to desert the one that just set you free. You just got unshackled. You just got out of prison, and then you're back in again. You want to go back. And rather than acknowledging, recognizing that they were indeed free from the present evil age, they ran back to it. Deserting God who desires a personal relationship with you and shunning the gospel that Jesus died for your sins so that you can have a personal relationship with a holy God. Now, in the Bay Area, most people that I've met here are spiritual. There are very few true atheists. I can count on both of my hands the number of atheists that I've met here. Most people are spiritual around here. Very few will claim that there isn't a higher power or a spirit or a god or gods or a spiritual being or something like that. They all acknowledge that. The vast majority of the people in the Bay Area acknowledge that. Most will acknowledge that there is something, someone greater than themselves, whether that terminology is whatever they want to call it. But not all acknowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ and as Jesus himself as God. Many claim to know God, including those in the church. But Jesus is missing from their lives as well. Inside the church. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verses 37 through 40. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So you can't know God absent of Jesus according to the Bible, the Word of God, written by His apostles, His special messengers. See, spirituality is rampant here. But this is the intolerant part. 
of Christianity. There's only one God. There's only one God. And there's only one way to him, Jesus. That's our intolerance. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. The way. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the Bible says. It is exclusive. It is intolerant towards this. Tolerant towards many other things, though. But not towards this. And this is Jesus' good news. This is his gospel. Now, if you choose to go another route, if it is not the way of salvation, nor it is the way to a relationship with God, it is just another way. It is the same spirituality, but it leads to a different destination. There are only two destinations. Ushered into the presence of God or ushered into the absence of the presence of God. That's it. There aren't a bunch of spiritual destinations. It's just two. It is either being in the presence of God or it is being in the absence of the presence of God according to the Bible. Not all roads lead to the same place. See, there's one road through Jesus that leads to the presence of God and all the others lead to the absence of the presence of God. And this is not an easy thing for me to say, nor is it something that I love to like go about, hey, listen to my exclusivity and listen to how I don't include people and how I'm intolerant. Like, I like doing that. Well, sometimes I do. But, <laughs> but not in regards to this, really. I have a lot of friends out there who aren't Christians. I have a lot of friends who are pluralistic and humanistic, and this does not go well with them. I've lived here for over 15 years. This is challenging to me. And I'm not seeking to upset anyone. In fact, I'd really want to include everyone in everything. That's what I would want to do. But if I did that, I wouldn't be telling you the truth about what the Bible teaches. I would be lying to you. I could not call myself a Bible teacher. An honest one, at least. And I don't want to offend anybody. But what's of greater importance is that I don't lie to you. And I don't want to give you anything less than what the Bible teaches and what Jesus did for you so that you can have a relationship with a holy God. I can't desert God. I can't desert the one who delivered me from my sin. So please understand that I don't have another message for you. There was only one that set me free. And so my allegiance is to him. I can't tell you anything less. I can't tell you anything else. He's the one who saved me. He's the one who saved my wife. He's the one who saved the dearest people to me. Most of them. Not my mom yet, but we're working on that one. And I can't tell you what the Bible does not teach. I'm astonished. That you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. There is no other one. Right? A different gospel? Not that there is another one. That's what Paul wrote. There is no other gospel. Now what is the gospel? It's the declaration of God's unmerited favor. His grace to sinners. All of us who deserve Justice. Justice is when you get what you are supposed to get. 
and God desires justice, and so do we. I am very much wired for justice. I had a rat in my house yesterday who ate like a couple apples and a pear. Got all over my kids' stuff, my baby's cloth diapers. The rat met justice yesterday. It met justice yesterday. And God is a God of justice, right? But he is also a gracious God. He's gracious, who gives us good tidings when we don't deserve them. We can't justify his good tidings outside of Jesus because our sin makes that impossible. Our sin condemns us without Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a flip side to that. It also means that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. See, it's not about being good. It's not about being religious. It's not about being spiritual. You can't do it on your own. Only Jesus makes it possible for God to look upon you as righteous. It's what Jesus did for you that eliminates that condemnation. That's why Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Why only Jesus? Why is He the only way? How come only He is? He's the only one that was sinless. Point to another. Point to any other person in world history who was sinless. If He was not sinless, then He would be guilty of sin. And if He was guilty of sin, justice would demand that He would pay His own debt. So he couldn't pay for anybody else's debt. The only way that your debt is paid for by someone else is if they are sinless, because that is justice. The Apostle Paul proclaimed this gospel, salvation through grace to the churches of Galatia. But there were these false teachers who taught something different. That there were these additional things, you know, Paul missed these things, and those things need to happen along with your faith but those things need to happen for you to have salvation. One of those things is just a small thing, circumcision. You need to be circumcised in order to get salvation. And so they would provide these followers of Jesus in the Galatian churches. You know, all you have to do is this small surgical procedure. That's it. And then salvation. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few other Mosaic laws, but it's not a big deal. They just go along with your beliefs. But then, you know, that's it. That's it, though. But that's a different gospel. That's a gospel that was dividing people and pulling people away from the real gospel. See, the gospel is simple. There isn't anything we can do to earn God's favor. You can't earn it. It's just a simple faith in Jesus. That he paved a way for you to have a relationship with God. That's it. That's it. You don't bring your good works or anything you think that justifies your sins before God. You simply submit your soul to Jesus and you entrust him by faith to take care of all the things between now and eternity. You can't get yourself better. Right? You, you can't do more right things and do less bad things before coming to Jesus. You just simply come as you are. And he did everything that needed to be done on the cross where he died for your sins. And it's simple. 
intolerance toward the gospel, the good news of Jesus, will lead you to an eternal separation from God. Tolerance toward everything else will provide roads to desertion. When false teachings are tolerated, they lead to desertion. False teachers will trouble you and want to distort the gospel of truth. Verses 6 and 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of truth. The word distort, it's interesting. Verse 7, it means to turn around. It means to pervert. It means to corrupt. These false teachers, they're twisting things around to where they look like it, but it's different. But it's different. Where the gospel may sound similar, but it's different. See, that's the thing with counterfeit gospels. They have to look similar. It's just like a dollar bill. If someone gave you a Monopoly bill, like, here's 50 bucks, thank you. That dude, Monopoly. Right, but if it looks close, then the Costco people, they go like this, and whatever they do, but really, I don't think it does anything. I think it's just like, they like coloring or something. So this desertion from the gospel was caused by false teachers who put their own twist on the gospel, distorting it, and when people desert the gospel, they take a look at the gospel they were given, and it's just a small little twist. A lot of people have been hurt by churches. They've been hurt by the people in the churches. And I think the vast majority of the time when people desert God, it's not from outside influences. It's because they've been given a distorted gospel and they believed it. People inside the church. That's why it's so important that we investigate what someone says in regards to the Bible and to look at the Bible itself as the standard. My gift in teaching, preaching, however great or small that is, it's not to entertain you. And for some of you, I'm really successful at that. <laughs> My calling as a pastor is not information dissemination. It's not to just educate you and fill you with knowledge. My calling as a pastor, teacher, preacher is to strengthen the church in the gospel. That's my calling. Not to entertain, not to educate, not all that stuff. And no matter what comes our way, that we are firmly planted in the Bible. So you won't get any sermon from me that isn't from the Bible. You're not going to hear this thing about, like, whatever. Anything else. I have nothing else to tell you, really. I'm not that interesting. So it's just the Bible. And Paul wrote this to his disciple Timothy here, which I really take to heart. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's my call. Not jokes, not all that, whatever, movie clips or whatever, inspirational things. That's not my job. 
That's why we teach through the Bible here, book by book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so you can discern when someone is distorting, perverting, corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can recognize false gospels and false teachers. Paul wrote to let the false teachers be accursed twice in verses 8 and 9. Where do you think these false teachers come from? Who do you think these false teachers are? They're from within. They're from within the church. Now some may think we receive the greatest opposition from the outside. Oh, the political people and all the governments, all the culture and the humanism and the pluralism, all that stuff. I think Paul's more concerned from what's within. Those who know enough of the gospel to counterfeit it, to distort it, to be dangerous with it, and to be misleading with it. Those who know enough of the real thing and they can turn it around, right? They can pervert it to where it seems genuine, but it is counterfeit. And if you can't tell the real one from the fake one, you're going to be prone to being misled. Don't believe the things that I say or what anyone else says without assessing their teachings to the Word of God. To the Word of God. The Apostle Paul warned about people like this in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. This is the Galatian churches, guys. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. That's intolerant. He's not being tolerant to these guys. But he's saying, beware of the distortion, beware of the perversion, beware of the corruption of the gospel, especially from within. The Apostle Paul even included himself, himself, in this possible contradiction to the gospel. Look at what he wrote, verse 8. But even if we, Paul's included in that. Even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Whatever's coming after this is false if it's not this. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The gospel originally preached was the true gospel. Any changes to it later are false, including those coming from Paul himself. Or from an angel. The gospel does not change. And if any of us changes it, let him be accursed. So let's not look at a person's credentials or their experience or their gifting or their influence when we are attempting to define the gospel. The gospel defines itself. People do not give spiritual authority to the gospel. The gospel gives spiritual authority to the person. The word of God does not change. So I exhort you to be like the Bereans, which is in Greece. You can still go to that city. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 11. This was written about them. This is really awesome. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. 
That's us. That's what we need to be. Don't take someone else's word as gospel. Look at the gospel when listening to someone's words. Hold people who teach from God's word accountable to God's word. And as Christians, we do practice tolerance. But in our practice of tolerance, let's not think that it's an exclusive practice and we don't practice intolerance. We must be intolerant toward false teachers and their teachings. We practice both. John wrote in 2 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Intolerant. As Christians, we practice tolerance, but we also practice intolerance. Now, I'm talking more about the intolerant part because I think in the Bay Area, being who we are, we're pretty good at the tolerance part, aren't we? We're just good at that. We understand that. That even when we go to other places, like whenever we go to conferences and we're like, oh yeah, we're from Oakland, people are like, you believe in anything? I'm like, yes, no. <laughs> So people understand that. People understand that we are tolerant people, that we exercise that. I think our challenge, like those of the churches in Galatia, is practicing intolerance when it's appropriate. That's our challenge. Otherwise, we risk deserting the person who delivered us from our bondage of sin. Now, how important it is for followers of Jesus to be edified in the gospel, in the word of God, which is why our church values so much the teaching of the word of God. Paul followed up this accursedness with a couple of rhetorical questions in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Isn't that true? If, if we were there to serve Christ, wouldn't it be easier for us just to be tolerant? We wouldn't have a standard of Jesus Christ. We could just be tolerant all the time. But Paul's purpose changed from pleasing man to serving Jesus. And when serving Christ, there will be times you don't please people. In fact, there's a high likelihood that you're going to anger them. You're going to annoy them, irritate them, upset them, offend them. You're going to dissatisfy them. You can't serve Jesus and accommodate everyone whom you come into contact with. It is impossible. You can't even accommodate everyone if you don't serve Jesus. Right? Even if you don't serve Jesus, you can't please everybody. So it's better to serve Jesus and let people feel the way they feel. Right? Hey, you feel the way you feel. And you stay true to the gospel, you stay true to the word of God, and you just let the chips fall where they may. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God. 
As Christians, may we practice tolerance. In no means am I advocating intolerance in all aspects. I am advocating tolerance in most aspects. But that we also exercise intolerance in these ways where there's false teachers, false teachings. Otherwise, we would be led astray from the person who delivered us from our bondage, from our prison of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for placing us here in Oakland and in the Bay Area. I'm so appreciative of what you've allowed the world to teach me. In a time where being judgmental and very justice focused, this place changed me a lot. And so I thank you for your hand in that. And Lord, may we have the discernment to practice intolerance when appropriate. When we are receiving false teaching, when we are receiving false teachers, may we have the wisdom and the discernment to call that out. I ask God that you would bless each person here with that spirit of discernment, with that wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.